Welcome to episode 229 of the Women of the Military podcast. This week my guest is Vidya Barnett. She is the senior campaign representative for Sierra Club's Military Outdoors. Sierra Club is this week's sponsor for the podcast, and I'm so excited to share about not only Vidya's time in the Air Force, but also about the work she is doing to help eliminate barriers for veterans to get outside. Sierra Club's Military Outdoors ensures military members, veterans, and their families enjoy the beauty of nature by creating programs and policies that remove barriers, preventing them from experiencing the great outdoors. You can learn more about the work Vidya and the Sierra Club is doing by heading over to their website, www.sierraclub.org military outdoors. I'm really excited to share this interview. I learned a lot about the different barriers to getting outdoors and about how people are advocating to make it easier for veterans to get outside and why that's so important. Before we get started with this week's interview, I want to remind you that you have the opportunity to listen to Women of the Military podcast now on Reese Across America Radio twice a week. That's Fridays at 7 p.m. Eastern and Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. And you can listen on iHeartRadio, the TuneIn app, or Odyssey. And now with that out of the way, let's get started with this week's interview. Welcome to the show, Vidya. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me, Amanda. So let's start with why did you decide to join the military? I joined the military because I was a brand new mom at 20 years old. And at that time, I was working minimum wage, which is about $5.25 an hour. And for me, it just was not a way to provide for my daughter. So my uncle, who was a Navy recruiter, as well as my parents, who are both Marines, I suggested the military, which I did not want to do. But I realized that it would provide health care, you know, a paycheck, as well as training that I, can, I needed, the GI Bill and um, the VA loan. Yeah, so it was the benefits and the stability that kind of led you to the military. I like that you added that you were like, no, I don't think so. And then they're like, here's all the good things about the military. And so what branch did you end up joining? I joined the Air Force back in 1993. And why did you pick the Air Force over the Navy with that kind of, like you said, you had a Navy recruiter and an uncle? Well, I scored high on the ASVAB and I knew I didn't want to do the Marines because of the boot camp. And I knew with the higher ASVAB, you could do either Air Force or Navy. But being a new mom, I did not want to go on a, have to go on a ship and be away from my daughter. So the Air Force for me was the better choice and it had uh, better options. Um, and I was able to actually choose the MOS that I wanted, which was in the medical field. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm I'm not a Navy ship person like I don't like being out <laughs> on the ocean but then when you add the like complexities of being a single parent to the Navy it makes even more sense that the Air Force without having like sea tours and all those rotations would make it a better option and you got the career field you wanted so that's even better so since you were a single parent were there any challenges with like joining the military and going to boot camp Yes. Yeah, so um, back then you had to sign over custody of your child in order to join. So I uh, gave my parents custody guardianship um, of my daughter, um, but I was I was afraid that they wouldn't give her back 
in addition to, I didn't know what, you know, duty assignments or any of that looked like. I had no clues. So I, you know, I was very afraid of if I got this crazy assignment somewhere out in the desert or something, I wouldn't get my daughter back. But thankfully, my parents were ready to hand over <laughs> a toddler when I was done with uh, boot camp in my technical training school. Yeah, that's funny. And I was just remembering I interviewed, I can't remember her name because it's been a while, but she was in the Navy. And when she became a, I think she was a single mom, she had to sign over custody to deploy on a ship. So like that would make it even more complicated. And I know that they've changed a lot of the rules because so many parents, single parents, especially were having challenges with that, with like, you know, having to give up custody just to deploy which you don't even want to go on a deployment and then to think about giving away custody is even more challenging so wow that's really crazy so what was boot camp like you had given up custody and you headed to training and you know it's really challenging what was that experience like it was extremely hard the first two weeks I cried nonstop, except for, you know, at night, <laughs> because you're exhausted, you know, your body just forces you to sleep. But after those two weeks, um, I kind of got myself together. And my daughter actually experienced her first birthday while I was in boot camp. So getting those pictures of her, I shifted my focus for why I even signed up. So I was very determined to make it through boot camp so that I could get to get through, you know, AI and um, get to my duty station and get my daughter back. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And was it the pictures or was there something that like kind of made your mindset shift that you can remember that you could pinpoint it to? Or was it just you got all your tears out and you were ready? To go? <laughs> you know, what? I, I don't think there's one particular thing, Amanda. I think um, seeing people washed out, people quitting because it was too hard, you know, and I'm just like, I can't quit because if I quit, I'm going back to working at McDonald's making 525. So, you know, for me, I really had to like, yeah, like dig deep and and decide, you know, is my future better than what I know, you know, I'm going back to. And so I chose, you know, my future. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's, it's so hard to go through training, but I think if you like have a goal and a focus, especially if you're like, I don't want to go back to that. So like, I'm going <laughs> right. to keep going forward because I mean, it, boot camp is supposed to be hard because they're, they're molding you into who you need to be and they need to like see your dedication. So it's not supposed to be easy. And I think that's why it's so important to have like a goal and a focus when you're looking at joining the military. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I know there's some people that just join because that's what everybody in their family did. So, you know, I can't question their, their motives, but I just know for me, once I shift my focus, because those first two weeks, I, I wanted to quit, you know, <laughs> but like I said, knowing that my future was going to be brighter than what I've already experienced, that that was, you know, motivation for me. That makes a lot of sense. So after you finished basic training, you went to your tech school and then you went to your first assignment. And what happened when you got there? So when I got to my, my first and only assignment that was at Lackland Air Force Base, um, I was stationed at Wilfer Hall Medical Center and I worked labor and delivery. I was a labor delivery technician. And then we also had an OB ICU. So it was the ICU for the sickest of the sickest, pregnant women who were either military members, dependents, 
women who are flown all over the country uh, to our ICU unit. So it, I, I loved my job. I did not like my supervisor. Um, there was a lot of bullying going on as a single mom. She put me on night shift right out the break, even though I begged her to put me on day shift. So, you know, in addition to 12 hour shifts at night, I had to pay for a, a daycare provider at night. And then when I got off at seven in the morning, picking my toddler up and then attempting to get sleep so that I can go back to work the next day. So that was, um, it was a nightmare. <laughs> So, you know, I would set my daughter up with her sippy cups, you know, one with milk, juice, you know, water, Cheerios, um, you name it. And then I would wake up and there'd be crap all over the place. You know, um, back then it was VHS tapes. So she would wake me up to put, you know, her purple Barney uh, tapes in. So it just, I was so sleep deprived. It was, it was crazy. Yeah, and it's crazy that you were on night shift. I've heard of like shifting switch, shifting. I can't even talk. Shifting, (laughs) switching. Yeah, shift switching. (laughs) Thank you. Shift switching, and like having it so that like you're on nights for like you know a couple weeks, and then they switch to days. But it like it was just always nights, and you were just that. Just sounds like a so unfair i like when they do it and they switch it back and forth then at least it's like everyone has to share the pain and you would be able to recover you know but then i mean then you'd have to figure out child care at night child care during the day so that would be challenging too so there is a lot of challenges when it comes to it yeah especially as a single parent you know that was the, i think had my daughter possibly stayed with my parents i probably would have had a better experience but it, it just wasn't, even down to when she had chicken pox, you know, I was the char- called the charge nurse and was like, hey, I'm not going to come to work. They wanted me to go to sick call. And I'm like, okay, well, I went to the ER. The ER says she has chicken pox. And finally, I just said, well, I can bring her to work with me. You know, <laughs> I can bring her to labor and delivery with pregnant women and, you know, newborn infants, you know. And so they kind of acquiesced on that. But I did wind up taking her to a pediatrician and getting, you know, a doctor's note. So it was things like that. I, I got meningitis when I was in the military. That was something else. I went to sick call, picked up my daughter from the daycare Went to the ER that night. They did a spinal tap, said I had meningitis. They actually admitted me to the hospital. And my daughter slept in my hospital bed with me because I had nobody to take her. And then thankfully, my dad was able to fly in. And um, he stayed with me for about two weeks until I recovered. Wow, that just sounds like so challenging. And I think it highlights the culture of the military where they expect there to be a spouse that you know steps in and and takes care of all those things because my husband's still in the military and sometimes I get annoyed with like how it's I mean I understand because I was in the service but it's also like just because he's in the military doesn't mean that I don't exist and that I don't have goals and like that I have I'm the one who has to take care of the kids and I'm the one who has to do this and we've gotten better at communicating and me self-advocating. Great. But I think it's something that for, especially in the 90s, was like expected of spouses. And now I think a lot more spouses are working and so the military is having to flex. But I think it just shows the culture of the military. Yep, yep, yep. And and I mean, my, my NCO, she told me, she was like, <laughs> if the military wanted you to have a family, they would have issued you one. 
And I was like, wow. <laughs> I said, well, I came in with one, so I can't change that. Yeah. And I think that like I've heard that statement before and it's just ridiculous because military members wouldn't continue to serve if they couldn't have like I mean some people don't get married and have, but that's a rarity and like the fact that you're supposed to sacrifice everything for this career is ridiculous when you think about it. it's like but you know if I didn't if I didn't have the option to get married and I could only serve single or I couldn't have kids like the military wouldn't exist without right. families but they seem to not understand that sometimes i think they're getting better but definitely in the 90s i've heard that before though i've heard that statement and it just makes me cringe because i'm like that's just not reality like right right and you figure with my mom my mom was in the marines and um she got pregnant with me and they actually kicked her out so this is 20 years you know prior to me serving yeah, I know. When I started doing the podcast, I asked someone if they faced discrimination. They're like, well, when I got pregnant, I couldn't be in the military anymore. And I was like, what? <laughs> right. That's discrimination. And like, I didn't know that was a rule because I had no clue. And I think that's like things that the podcast has like taught me and then like shared with other people. It was like some of the challenges that women have faced in the military and like how much work and effort went to change those things so that we can make it better for like single parents now have more rights and more. Yes, uh, absolutely. More flexibility and more support. And, you know, women can be pregnant in the military. <laughs> yes. My daughter was one of those. She was a coastie um, and she served for eight years and had my grandson while she was in the military. Oh, wow. I love, I love that the service continues. That's so cool. So you said that was your one and only assignment. Was there anything else besides like, I mean, you said that you really loved your job, but you faced a lot of challenges being sleep deprived. But was there anything else from your experience in the military that you wanted to highlight or talk about? Not really. Not that I could think of. And so I'm guessing at the end of your, was it a four-year commitment? Yes, it was a four-year commitment. Mm -hmm. You decided... I'm done not sleeping. <laughs> I'm going to get the benefits the military gave me and and get out. So was it challenging to get out of the military and start the, your next career? Actually, it wasn't um, because my uncle, who was the recruiter, he kind of prepped me and prepared me for getting out. So he gave me information about how to find a, um, a civilian job that was similar to what I was doing prior to getting out. So I actually took some leave, went home, went on some job interviews, things of that nature. So by the time my terminal leave started, I had a, I was like working a civilian job. So I was able to get my military pay as well as start on a civilian job. So I didn't miss a paycheck. So that was great. And then I also enrolled in community college because I got out in January. So I was able to start in that that winter session so yes yeah, so I was I was highly prepared <laughs> and ready to roll <laughs> yeah I mean this is before they had like transition assistance program did they have tap they or... did have taps um and it was so funny Amanda because they <laughs> they had like these ladies come in with pantyhose and these suits with the, <laughs> the shoulder pads and pearls and you know this is how you dress for an interview and so they did give some resume assistance, but that was pretty much it. There was no talking about your VA disability benefits. 
So I really, and that's something I'm really big on now. And some, one of my side things that I do now is I help women veterans do their claims and e-benefits, but there was no talk about any of that. So I didn't even know about VA benefits. But yeah, other than that, I was ready. I had a job. Daughter was enrolled in daycare. I had my parents for support. So yeah, it was a great transition. Yeah, I love hearing that you had that support, that you had not only, I mean, I don't, the TAPS has evolved and changed a lot. And I, when I went through TAPS in 2013, there was a two-hour briefing, which was like all about the VA, which if you know anything about the VA, two hours is like not nearly enough. I just went to four-hour training just on VA healthcare and we went over the four hours so the fact that we had a two-hour briefing for everything VA related was like no wonder I didn't get anything out of it because it was like a foreign language that didn't make any sense and so I think it's great that you had that support from your uncle and that you I mean you were prepared you had a job you had childcare, you, had, you moved home so you could have the support, and then you were able to use your GI Bill and start going to school. So I know that this interview, we're going to highlight outdoors for all. So I don't want to like skip too much, but can you talk a little bit about like how you went from leaving the military, going to school, and you were in the medical f- field when you were in the military, and now you're working for outdoors for all. So how did that transition happen? So there's a lot of years (laughs) in between there. After I got out, I worked at a local um, hospital doing labor and delivery. So that was great. And the pay was more than what I was making in the military. I was shocked, but I did not have health care. And so from there, I wound up getting married. My husband went into the army after we got married, went to Germany. So I was a military spouse as well. And then after we returned uh, to the States, uh, I went into teaching. So I was a teacher for several years, homeschooled my kids. So I pulled them out, homeschooled them. And then after they got to a certain point, they went back uh, into the public school system and, and I was teaching. And then shortly after that, in 2019, I actually experienced a stroke and it was service connected, thankfully. So I was able to get my 100%. But from there, recovering from the stroke, being outdoors helped me. Being outdoors in nature, I really couldn't walk. I, struck, I struggled with vertigo. So I would just go and sit and be at peace. And I could actually feel my brain like healing, being outdoors in the sun on me. And so I got to the point after, during that recovery, I said, you know, what? I want to go back to school. And so I actually used VRE to get my master's degree. So I graduated in 2022 uh, with my master's degree. And in the process of that is when I found this internship for the Sierra Club, who is who, is, who I work for now. And um, it was immediate. Like the minute I interviewed for the internship, I was like, oh my gosh, I want, this is my home. This is my place. And then that internship turned into a full-time position, which is the military outdoors. I'm a campaign representative. And so part of that job is helping veterans such as myself utilize the benefits of being outdoors for therapeutic benefits. But I also work on a team where we help to bring about legislation in various states so the veterans can have access to the outdoors, whether it's their local parks, waterways, um, what have you, uh, educating them on the park passes, but then also working with uh, legislators to make those park passes free. 
a lot of people don't know that they're not free in every state. I can, I was in Maryland. It was free in Maryland. I now live in Georgia. It's not free in Georgia. So that's how my journey was <laughs> from getting out the military to where I am now serving my fellow brothers and sisters. Yeah, I didn't really think about how, because I've utilized the National Parks Pass as a veteran, and I think it's like the coolest program ever, but I didn't think about oh, someone had to advocate to make this happen so that I could go to the national parks. And I mean, it's been such a blessing for our family because we've been able to like go to national parks. But yeah, state parks, a lot of times, depending on where you are, they aren't covered. Or I don't know because I haven't even looked into it because I kind of just assumed if it was a state park, then I was, you know, I didn't have that option. (laughs) I need to look into that and find out more information i know that i mean i've been to yosemite since we moved back to california which is a national park and so that was great that i could get the park pass really easily just showing my veteran status on my driver's license (laughs) but i really i want to go back and talk about like the importance of being outside because i i don't know if you know amy bouchat she's the editor for military.com and she has a podcast called humans outside she started going outside her mental health was suffering and so she decided that she was going to go outside every day for 20 minutes and it changed her life and now she's all about the outdoors and like it was for her mental health and her husband's mental health like they started going outside and just going outside every day and for 20 minutes and how that like changed her life and so I definitely need to connect you with her after okay awesome It's just really powerful to hear those stories and to just hear about your story of like, you couldn't really walk, you but you being outside just helped your brain and how there's something in nature that can help with your mental health, even your physical health, just being outside. So how did you discover that like being outside was something that was healing for you? I always loved being outside, even as a child, riding our bikes with, you know, utter abandon and freedom and being outdoors for hours at on end. Um, And so that was just the one thing I could do. It was a change of scenery. It was no longer my bed or my sofa. And so thankfully, you know, sitting outside and just hearing the birds, it was just healing and then feeling the sun actually on my skin, penetrating my skin. It was like I can. I literally felt, like I said, my brain cells healing doing that. Yeah, that's so powerful. And like something that's so simple, but I think sometimes we get so busy with life or just, you know, like when I started listening to my friend, to Amy, talk about going outside for 20 minutes, I realized that I didn't go outside sometimes, especially we're living in Virginia and like it was cold and I didn't want to go outside. And so... I didn't, I didn't go outside and it'd be like, I could stay in, especially during COVID, I could stay in my house for days and like not go outside. And so I started making an effort to go outside every day and just, you know, be in my yard. And it really is powerful and impactful on like your mental and physical health. Just, I mean, getting outside and moving and then just, I, when you're talking about the sun, like, yes, having the sun on your face, even when it's really cold, it just, it really matters. Right. Absolutely. I mean, just think about on a cold day, what are people trying to do? They're trying to get in the sun. So yeah, it does, I definitely believe it has healing powers. 
Yeah, and then you said that when you did the interview for this job, you were like, yes, I found what I was looking for. So what are you most excited about with working with Outdoors for All and, you know, the Sierra Club and especially focusing on veterans? I think that's even more important. I think one of the most important things for me is reducing barriers to access. A lot of service members have service-related trauma, and they're struggling to transition back um, to civilian life. And so the outdoors provides, you know, mental and physical health benefits. And then knowing that there's actual research that shows that spending time in, in nature is measurable and it has positive effects on veterans' physical and mental health is important to me. So part of my job is to help uh, find barriers uh, to access. Some of those include um, lack of outdoor education or experience, access to transportation, which means like if someone lives in an inner city, they may not have access to a state park or to a Yosemite or what have you. Uh, physical ability. So we're talking about our brothers and sisters who may have some type of combat-related trauma. Cost, like we just talked about with the park pass, <laughs> that was another one. Um, their work schedules, familial responsibilities. So if people have little little kids, they probably feel like they can't really go outside. But then also uh, proximity to green spaces. Like, do they even have access? I live in Georgia. There's green everything around me. I hike. I just started kayaking. So these are some of the barriers. And then also discrimination. Some people, because of their sexual orientation, don't feel safe outdoors. In the United States, Black and brown people have been discriminated. Even on national parks, there was a Black side and a white side. I don't know how you you divide nature. But, you know, so historically, some individuals don't feel comfortable being outdoors because they don't feel like they belong. So part of our job is to find out what those barriers are for veterans, and then help reduce those barriers where each individual veteran or veteran population exists throughout the country. Yeah, I think that's really important to talk about because if we, I mean, if we pretend or if we don't address the barriers and we like, nah, that's not really an issue, so we're not going to talk, or it's not a big deal. I think that's what a lot of people are like, oh, that's not really a big deal. It's like, well, it is a big deal to someone if it's preventing them from going outside and being in nature. And it doesn't matter how small it seems to you, it could be giant to someone else. And so we have to address those things. And the first thing I think you have to do is raise an awareness and start talking about it. Because, I mean, I, I knew about discrimination, but I didn't even know that it was like restricted to like outdoors. Like, I mean, I just, the world's changed so much which is good but it's like it boggles my mind to think that like the discrimination of like black and white bathrooms and black and white outdoor that was like less than 100 years ago yeah less than 100 years ago it's like insane to me that like that's it's so close to our history because it seems like like another world to me because I didn't grow I grew up in California and I'm I know there was stuff going on and I was blind to it because I mean I am white and it wasn't something that I experienced but I'm like reading a lot of history and I just am like how how did this happen like recently it just I I just I can't I can't believe it and like it highlights how many problems we're having today because it's not like a long time ago it's like it's not long ago it's just it's crazy how much has changed and how much more we still need to do and we need to talk about these things and address them because I think I my husband and I are watching 
this space show and it's like this alternate reality on space and it was like what if like a, the russians got to space to the moon first and then they're they have a woman and then it changes everything because now the u.s has women in space and i was telling my husband i was like after world war ii women didn't tell their stories and like there were no pilots until you know the 70s and then in 93 they could be combat but like what would have happened if the space race they had women <laughs> be astronauts like right. that would have changed everything for women and so I I think it's really interesting like how one small thing can change and then how that opens the door for the future and so I think it's important to talk about these things and it's re it's really interesting kind of went on a tangent but <laughs> well and that's and that's why the work that we're doing is so important because to your point if you're if you and I'm not saying you I'm saying the proverbial you are able-bodied veteran you did not experience any type of combat trauma or anything like that you may not think that having a motorized traction wheelchair is important for someone having access to the outdoors but that veteran deserves to be outside on a trail just like person who can walk or a person who has prosthetics or what have you so I'm really happy that that just came about last year where you can actually go to certain um, parks and um, rent out uh, these wheelchairs. Uh, so all terrain, that's what they call them, all terrain wheelchairs. So I think that that is a huge step towards access. Yeah, it's it's things like that that are, you know, most people don't even think about it. But for the people that it affects, it's a huge hurdle and it changes everything because now they have the access to be able to go outdoors and we already talked about how important it is because of mental health and physical health and all the different things so that's awesome to hear about what you guys are doing do you have any initiatives that you're working on right now or things you've done in the past that you're really proud of sure 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 so here recently um i worked on a program called the outdoor rx coalition this was um, in new york and so it was formed uh, by the Sierra Club, uh, New York State Department of Veterans Services, and other state non-governmental uh, nonprofits. And they did the same thing. They identified barriers to access uh, for over 4 million acres of New York parks and lands. And they actually uh, checked different, check with different organizations to see what services they offer. So what we did was we created a website where we have a repository of information is outdoorrxcoalition.org. Um, and the resources there support over 750,000 service members and veterans in New York. Also, anyone can go onto the website, find out information about parks, accessibility, ADA. Um, we were really clear on making sure that um, even a service provider, so someone is working at the VA, they can go on that website and find ADA accessible parks, even waterways, uh, hiking guides. Uh, so it's really important for us to um, now hand that over to a community member organization. And then what I'm going to be doing is trying to replicate that on a national level. So in New York now, veterans have access to state parks. The goal is to take that onto a national level. So having partnerships across the nation where veterans in all 50 states have access depending on, you know, what areas they have. So like in New York, um, one of my boss, uh, what he uh, does is he meets veterans from the various VAs and found out how can they get to the outdoor space using buses and trains. And for one veteran, um, there's actually a YouTube video. It took her over an hour and a half 
to go from her apartment to a green space using trains and buses. And so that's an issue, <laughs> you know? Um, so she's having to do that out of her own pocket. There is no any type of help for her. So imagine that's just one veteran who's determined to get outside. For other people, they may be like, I don't have the time or the money to put into to get outdoors. So it's really important to bring bring these issues um, to the forefront, not only just in New York, but you know across the country. Yeah, and I live in LA, which is not a green space. Like Virginia was, there was so much greenery and outdoors, and now I live in LA, and it's like urban. And I'm lucky because we live not too far away from the ocean, so like we can get to the ocean, which I mean, that's that's really nice. But it's so different than like I could just go running in my neighborhood and there was a trail in Virginia. And here it's like sidewalks and, you know, dodging cars. And it's it's not the same as being in nature, even though there's little parks everywhere. It's just not the same. And so it is very different. And so I see that and especially like a train and a bus and like the challenges and like depending on how far away it makes a lot of sense that it would take an hour and a half to get to that green space and yeah and so because we research has shown that being outdoors is important for veterans this is one of the things that that we're you know tackling and one of the other things that we're doing with this national buildup of the Veteran Military Outdoors Coalition is I'm also working on an initiative that is uh, women veteran focused Still fleshing it out, so it's nothing specific right now. But I'm super excited because here in Georgia, um, I'm actually in April will be leading a women-only hike. And then uh, I just got some feedback from a bunch of women veterans who want a women veteran-only hike. So I'll be leading that here in Georgia as well. And some of these women are like, I've never been outside. I'm scared of bugs, you know, all these things. And I'm like, we're just going for a nice stroll just to get outdoors. And the goal is, our biggest goal is we want veterans to go back to their communities and then replicate, like take other veterans outdoors or take their families outdoors. And it's not only veterans, but military members as well. Yeah. And I love hearing that there's women veteran organization or women veteran focused activities, because that is another barrier. Like some I mean, a lot of women have experienced military sexual trauma. So like going to an event with male and female veterans can be overwhelming. And so it's great to hear that you're starting that. I know Foundation for Women Warriors, they're in San Diego and they do various hikes for women veterans and service members. And it's a great thing. I've gotten really involved in the women veteran community and just being around other women veterans is so amazing because they're so many commonalities that you share and friendships that can grow from being around other women veterans. Absolutely. I love that. I want to hear more as it comes out. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And and I've been that only woman that shows up, (laughs) you know, for a veteran outdoor event. And then because I'm the only woman, I'm the only black woman. And then I'm there with all these guys with beards and, you know, am uh, ca- camo gear on. And I'm like, okay. But because I'm, you know, I'm sure of myself and I'm confident in myself. I'm like, I can, you know, hang just like y'all can type thing. But like, to your point, like you said, if you have some women who've dealt with MST and they show up to a veteran event and here's all these big burly guys, I can clearly see somebody shutting down and not even participating. 
So it's important to me um, now, this next phase, to definitely have women veteran um, only programming. That's awesome to hear. I'm really excited. And I'm going to link to outdoorscoalition.org in the show notes so that make it easy for people to find it so that they can get all the information that they need. And then is there any other resources or tools that you think people should know about before we wrap this up? Sure, sure, sure. So they can actually go to the Sierra Club website, sierraclub.org. And we have a military outdoors um, page. And on there, we have seven programs, Alaska, um, Los Angeles, the Atlantic, which is uh, New York, Connecticut, Florida, uh, California, and Minnesota. And so each one of those military outdoors programs do different things. So like at one, they do pole walking, which is strictly just walking with poles, which I think is great. And we're also looking to expand to Detroit. So if people go to that website, if they don't see something in their area, we do have outings. So like I'm here in Georgia, we don't have a military outdoors, but we do have outings. So they can actually go onto their their state. There's a link for their state and they can find outings there. Um, and then we also do training. So if someone says, hey, you know, I want to lead outings um, in my area, there is also training that we provide where they can then lead people um, in their communities. And it doesn't have to just be hikes. It can be, you know, kayaking. It could be anything that is outdoors. So it does not have to always be a hike. So I try to tell people that because people get freaked out when they hear the word hike. And I'll link to everything in the show notes to make it easy so that people can find it. And that way... Um, if they missed it, they don't have to like try and go back and find it in the recording. And then I also want to end the interview, like I end all my interviews, which is what advice would you give to a young woman who's considering military service? Ooh, <laughs> good question. Do your research, advocate for yourself um, and know your rights. Know that you have rights. I wish I knew those things when I before I went into the military. Yeah, I think that is great advice. I think we, especially when I was joining and when you were joining, I mean, there was a big gap, but it also like, I think things have changed a lot for women and that we, we do know that we need to advocate for ourselves. And at least as women veterans, we know that's why we need to pass it on to the next generation. Like you have rights, you can advocate for yourself and there's other women veterans who are there who want to help you in your journey. So, you know, I have the mentorship program, which I'll link to in the show notes if you want to get help from a woman veteran while you're serving. And then I just want to say thank you so much for your time and thanks so much for the work that you're doing to get veterans outdoors. It's so important and it's something that I don't think we think about enough. And so I'm really excited to talk about this aspect of mental health getting outdoors and how important it is thank you thank you so much amanda for this time i'm so honored